Welcome to Finally Alive Radio with Pastoral Counselor Gary Harris. To find out more, please go to finallyaliveradio.com. Okay, uh, let's go to Acts 4. We are in Acts 4. We'll finish that today. And of course, this is the continuation of Acts 3. The lame beggar is healed, right? So this is just that the continuation of that. I, well, I guess I'll just kind of read the end of, of Acts 3 for the sake of the context here so we can kind of see where we're going. And I guess what I'm noticing is I, I'm, I'm liking it because we're kind of taking it verse by verse, but we're also incorporating the Old Testament, which is incredibly important. So let me go on a tangent on this one for a sec here. To be saved, all you need is the New Testament. That's where the gospel is, clearly. But it's the part after that. It's the part after that once you're saved, this is just my way of looking at it, is I think it's a requirement to have the Old Testament after that, because otherwise the New Testament can't make full sense without the Old Testament. I'll even say like this, if anyone says that you know, all you need is a New Testament, even to have like church. And I've had, I've, I've, I remember there were there were some churches that that would just stick to the Gospels and nothing else. Like for years, they would just go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and that's it. So, okay, but that's only just a piece, and that's great. That's the Gospel. But if you don't get any further than that, I guess we're sticking to uh, milk, the milk of the word. Not a bad thing, but there is a point where you know every baby, every baby, you know, wants to eat, you know, something different than than just milk, you know, and that's that's uh, that's a good thing. That's growth. But to even the Gospels, uh, to, let's be honest here, you still need the Old Testament. And why do I say that? Because, put it this way, can you think of a New Testament book that doesn't refer or literally quote the Old Testament? If there is, if there is, it's it's minimal. It, does that make sense? Even if there is, but it's so minimal. And then we can even argue and say, culturally speaking, it's still Old Testament culturally, right? They're, they're going to have that type of at least mindset or understanding. And that's the key thing is, what is their understanding? That's a problem for us. What was I thinking of today? But I was thinking of this verse that, that's used often, living life and God has given us life in abundance, right? And using that verse as a, uh, a verse of like prosperity and you're going to make money and God wants you to be abundant in money. And it's like, oh man, that is just horrible, horrible. That's that's not even theological. That just actually embarrassing to use god's word that way life being abundant because you have money that let's not even open the bible and just think that one through together guys and this is almost like an easy easy target how many of the characters in the bible are rich okay solomon but there was a reason for that you know okay we can say the kings okay fine new testament the apostles jesus nope not rich financially you know didn't have 401k none of that stuff right nothing going on there Heck, the the guy had to fish and get you know, borrow if you will from Peter or right <laughs> whoever was fishing, for his own taxes. I mean, the guy couldn't even pay his own taxes. I mean, think about it. So that this doesn't make any sense. And then how embarrassing or how foolish to dare to put God's version of life next to a version of life that we think is treasured. And by the way, what's money? That's a big thing for Westerners, us, the capitalistic system, which I love by the way, but that. That doesn't even make any sense to an Easterner. Easterner, it isn't about money. Back then, especially, it was about agriculture. But that's not how much money you have. So, again, you just, we don't have to really open the Bible for that one. It's just an easy target. But a little bit of history, understanding. But what have they done? Isogetical work, right? It's eisegesis. It's my own interpretation, uh, my, my own private interpretation. Speaking of private interpretation, that verse is actually interpreted as uh, more like a private revelation. 
That's what that really is. You know, you can have an interpretation. We have how many interpretations of the Bible? How many versions of the Bible do we have? They're all interpretations. So, oh my gosh, is this, is this what we're talking about? No, it's not that. It's the revelation. You don't have private revelations. All right. God isn't going to give you, unless you're Jesus and you're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. He's not going to give you something that, that is outside of, of what we already have. The mystery is already revealed. So there isn't much else that's going to be revealed, if that makes sense. Can there be private things between you and God? Yeah, of course. That makes perfect sense. But a new direction? Probably not. There isn't going to be anything else. I think we've got it all. Jesus, believe in Jesus and go out into all the world and preach the gospel. That's, again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but you guys understand. I told you it was going to be a tangent. But, you know, th- these are things that we're dealing with. And and I guess my uh, my battle is I want to stray away from anything even close to that. I really want to attempt to do our best to see this book from their perspective and why they would even say what they would say. And that is so important to me, hopefully for you too. And really, that's going to make so much better sense. And all these weird verses and all these weird sayings will make sense if we just do a little bit of research. So all that said, Acts 3, so just for the sake of some context, so as for the, the lame man, Acts 3 verse 8, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And by the way, yeah, abundant life. If you want money to be your abundance, you know, so much for the lame beggar. Good luck, buddy. Verse 7, he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and uh, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So that's just an awesome story there. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when uh, Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And remember, I want to make this a point again because you're going to see some more of this happen today. Remember what the writer and the speaker is doing. He is making sure he makes a connection with Jesus and everything else Old Testament. What did he just do? You guys saw that, right? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of our fathers, right? So God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all four, you know, God being the greatest, but all three of those, right? You guys can't deny those, right? If you, how dare you deny those? You better not. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is all connected to that. So, oh man, that, that's like hard, hardcore stuff, man. That, that's harsh, harsh to the, to the Jewish ear. And then on top of that, this is the one that you denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you deny, this is 14, the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. It's like, whoa, man, talk about some. Okay, so this is old school preaching right here, right? This is old school preaching. How offensive is this? Extremely offensive, especially to the people of those days. The Jewish people don't want to hear that. You come over here and tell us we're doing something wrong. And then use our God and then use the name of our, uh, our forefathers. How dare you do that and just totally embarrass us like that. Right? So, th- I mean, think, think of what they're thinking there. Verse 15, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witness. And who did he just connect it back to? The Father. Well, we call him the Father, but they would call him you know, you know, Yahweh, right? And his name by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So this Jesus, I have, well, should we do some writing again? God, Abe, Isaac, Jacob. All right, and then let's connect all of this to Jesus. 
That's what he's doing. They're all, they're all under the same umbrella, if you will. And his name, by faith in his name, verse 16, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus, remember the one that's connected to all the other ones, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Old Testament-wise, who would do the miracles? What did he just do? He put this name in there, the name of Jesus. Think of what the Jewish ears hearing and thinking and huge eyes like, wait, what? So see, to us, it's like, uh, yeah, I've heard this a million times. But to them, it's like, you just replace God's name with Jesus? Yeah, because they're, they're both the same. That's his point. Luke's point is that. Peter's point is that. They're both one and the same. That's edgy. That's edgy material back then, man. All right. Today, today we're like, oh yeah, that, that's easy for me. It's easy for us. Again, we're Westerners. You know, we, we were taught this right off the bat. Thank God, right? We, we, we didn't have to, the, the, uh, the veil was already, you know, basically taken, taken off, right? I mean, the revelation, right, was there. The revealing was there for us. So we, we got the, the good end of all this, right? We got the easy end of all this. So praise God for that. Uh, verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also you, uh, your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, in case you forgot his name, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And on and on he he goes on about Jesus. And we already read this stuff, so I'm going to fast forward. So, so chapter 4, we've already gone over this. I'll go th- quickly through this. Just again, just trying to get the context of all of it. Uh, 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and Sadducees came, up, came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So again, here's your contrast. Here's your issue. Here's your conflict. Remember conflict, guys? Remember that, that we were talking about conflict? Conflict, conflict. Oh boy. Way to start a riot, guys. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. That's the point of all this, right? That we have believers. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. So imagine, you've got the heads, man. You've got the top dogs of the day. And you're about to face these guys right after you've been out of stinky jail. Good luck, buddy. You know, right? And now, side note. How much time to prepare do they have? How much preparation? How much showering? How much shaving do they do there? Zero, zero, and zero. Do they know what to say? Nope. How can they prepare? Well, in this case, it isn't them who has to prepare. It's the Holy Spirit that will give them the words. Remember, Jesus talked about that. He's going to give you the words. He's going to give you in in that moment, right? And and we have it here. So verse 6, with Annas, the high priest Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high high priestly family, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? So they're looking for the authority. Who are you going to, who are you going to claim right now? Then Peter, and here's your answer what, to answer the question I asked you guys a minute ago, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's who's going to give you the answers. So when you're in that moment, all right, when you're in, in front of your, I don't know, let's call it the judge, you know, metaphorically, whatever the case is, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to. He will remind you of these things. He's also a teacher. But he will also remind you. Have you? I mean, I'm sure you guys have experienced this, right? You're, you're talking to someone, and all of a sudden, blah, 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 all this stuff comes out. Like, whoa! I didn't even know that was in me. <laughs> like, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not saying go go thank him like that, but because our job isn't to talk to the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's get that very clear. 
Our job is not to talk to the Holy Spirit. You talk to God. Okay? All right, anyway. When you have those weird, you know, moments, you get that inkling sometimes to go uh, pray for that person you don't like. And notice I said the person you don't like. Okay, the person you do like, that might be you. Okay, because you've got a heart for that person. Not, not to say that's a bad thing, not to say you shouldn't pray. The person you don't like, I'm almost guaranteed that's the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit moving in you. We will have to, we do have to rely on the Holy Spirit, just as Peter's doing here. So verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, I love how they emphasize that, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this, this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. He's basically repeating what he just repeated in Acts 3. The message has not been changed. You know why? Because it was the Holy Spirit both times. He's going to say the same thing. The message won't change with, with the Holy Spirit. You know what? You know when it will change? When you step in. <laughs> when you throw in your two cents and you, know, you, you want to throw in a gimmick in there, right? You want to add some pizzazz to the word. That's scary, man. That's scary. That's, that's so out there. And that's scary. What scares me is that pulls us away from the word. It really does. And puts in our own, you know, whatever, junk. I'm, I'm going to call it junk. That's what it is. It's just junk. And again, I'll, I'll go back to the example I gave the abundance, right? Living life abundantly because you want to be rich. Come on, man. Get out of here. How dare you equate uh, God and money in the same sentence? Oh my gosh, how embarrassing. You should be embarrassed of yourself if, if you want to uh, equate Money and God being uh, abundance in life is it has anything to do with money. And again, like like we said, the Easterners. <laughs> what Easterner is going to say? Yes, yes that, that meant money. No, but do you see a well, Western mind would think that because that's that's what makes sense to me today. That's not that's not what they're thinking. What is abundance? It's it's a spiritual it's a spiritual abundance. Anyway, that, that's we already talked about that. But uh, this Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. We talked about that, and there's salvation in no one else. Okay, let's, let's go through this again. Remember uh, chapter 3, God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, connected to Jesus. But there's no other way you can get saved. Not, not these ones here, this one, Jesus. It's the only one that, that's going to save you, that authority. Because what was his question? By what authority or what name do you do this? Well, he didn't say authority. I've said authority. But by what name do you do this? Let me answer that. It's not the ones you guys know. Nothing wrong with them. But this is him. This is God, same God. Now he's in, he came in the flesh. So by what name? This name. This is the authority. Jesus. And I love how he just really just kind of gets, there's like no if ands, or buts, right? And there's salvation in no one else. I even like highlighted no one else because it's just so funny to, to see it. I don't know. It's funny to me, but I'm sure it was hell to pay for back then. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. And I love that line because, again, it proves it's the Holy Spirit. And I love that because the common man can go do God's work and doesn't have to be a super educated person. Again, you guys know my stance. You can edu- if you can be educated, please learn by all means. Do, do your best to learn. But that is not a requirement to do God's work. Does that make sense? It could be anybody, anybody anywhere. If God's going to use you, he's going to use you. All right? And if he's going to make you sound eloquent, he can do that. But let's also not use that as an excuse to stay dumb. All right? I'm trying to cover all my bases here, guys. All right? No, no, no dummies here because the Holy Spirit's going to move on me. Because people, you know, people get like that sometimes. I don't need to read any books. 
The Holy Spirit, come on, man. Do you know the Holy Spirit can teach you things reading a book? The Holy Spirit has no limitations on how he can teach you things. This is just me speaking now. That's laziness. That's just straight up being lazy. You know, once in a while, pick up a book. If you're not a book person, man, get the audio book, man. Really, I mean, if that's what it takes, then, then do that. I, I'd rather the book. I, that's just me, but uh, yeah. If, if that's what it takes, I mean, I say audio book because it has similarity to sitting under preaching, right? You, you can at least sit and listen to the word, and that's, that's okay. Dang it. You, got, you guys are just sucking the life out of me. It's not every book, though, okay? Not Joel Osteen books. Not how, how to get rich books, okay? I'm not saying you can't read that. That is not gospel. That's my, that's my point. You want to learn something. It, it, it has to have, yes, it's substance, but um, it has to theologically be accurate, okay? That's very important. Again, these, these Joel Osteen, My Best Life Now, but th- those, are not, those are not what I'm talking about. That, that's, that's just junk and, and, and candy and, and fluffy stuff. That, that does nothing. There's no nourishment there. It's feel-good stuff for the moment, and then it's done, Okay. You want, what you say, substance, something that's of substance, something that's going to have theological accuracy. Work has been done. In fact, the book is a challenge for you to read. There you go. That's part of the answer is there has to be some challenge. It's got to be a little bit tough. Maybe it's a little bit of language stuff. I'm not saying it's, it has to be that all the time, but maybe it's like, oh man, what is this? The struggle with this a little bit. In fact, preaching or uh, church is, is supposed to be like that. And praise God, we have that. But some churches don't have that. Some churches, there isn't that struggle with that word or struggle with that, you know, what the, what the pastor just preached on. That scares me because what has Peter been doing over and over and over? He's been offending everyone he's talking to. Why? Because it's new information. They don't have this. They don't know what the, What are you talking about, this Jesus guy? It's always uh, Abraham, Isaac, J- Jacob. That's it. Yahweh. That's all we got. That, that, that's who we, that's who we, no, no. That's fine. There's an addition to this. This is the whole picture here, Jesus uneducated men, common men, they were astonished and they were recognized that they had been with Jesus. I, I have to fast forward because we've already gone through this. I think we stopped, I think we stopped at 23 so I'm going to go to 23. People were healed and all that stuff, right? So verse 23 when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, now catch this part, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So he even throws in the Holy Spirit in there, just to really give us an extra ump. we got a lot of Holy Spirit going on so far, don't we? And then watch what he says. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. What does that mean? So he's quoting from the Old Testament. This is what I was talking about. I'm, I'm loving what we're doing now because we're going to go to every Old Testament like thing, whatever they're quoting, I want to go to it because what does that even mean? Like, why did you even say that? So let's go to that. Let's, that that's Psalm chapter 2. Psalm, yeah, chapter 2. So most, if not all, of Psalms is, is written by David, right? He's, he's, the, he's the guy. So chapter 2, just going right into this. And right off of verse 1, there it is. And that's exactly what uh, Peter's quoting. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together uh, against the Lord and against his anointed. And remember, this is Old Testament now, right? Who's the anointed in the Old Testament? Remember we talked about this. It could be people. It could be his king. Anyone he chooses, right? In this case, it's David. That's the anointed one, the Mashiach of, of the Old Testament. Is it, does that mean it's, it's Jesus? Not here. In the New Testament, he is the Messiah. Does that make, you got, we already talked about that. So his anointed saying, let us burst 
their bonds or their chains apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. And that's an interesting way to put it. To us, it's like, what? He who sits? What does that even mean? If we're talking about royalty, a king, especially a god, and it's sitting, it's the idea of he's ruling. So it's, it's almost like a kind of a, a, a way of speaking. So he, he who rules, that's probably a better way to put this, to, to give a better context, but he who rules in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He's mocking. All right. That, that, isn't that funny? The Lord mocks. How's that? So don't feel so bad when you, when you, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. What? What does that mean? Now, if you can imagine when I read that, I've read that many times. and It wasn't until I connected it to Acts. I'm like, wait, what? You're my son? God, I thought you only have one son. Jesus. How does that work? Why, why would you say that? But it's not until you go and do some research, right? But anyway, so here's the point. So the Canaanite religions had this belief. This has nothing to do with this. But the Canaanite religions actually believed that there was a king. That king was actually divine. And you see this with the Egyptians, Pharaoh, right? He is this, this God-man, right? The God-King man, right? It's, it's, he, is a, he is a God, he is, he is divine. So that's, that's a Canaanite religion. So if the Canaanites read this, that's, that's how they would take it. Ah, oh, well, the King, David, would be divine. In fact, there's, I think there's either etchings or maybe even like statues of, of a king suckling at the breast of the deity, right? That, that would be the idea, okay? So that's the Canaanites. So if the Canaanite read this, that's how they would see it. Now the Hebrews, they didn't have that. That's not the way it worked for them. The Hebrew God, our God, Yahweh, right? The way he, the, the way um, it's portrayed is whenever you see like these words, "You are my son," it is similar to the idea of a title. Now, again, what what has God wanted from the beginning? He's wanted his family. That's what he wants. It's family kind of language, and that's what he's doing. And when he's calling them my son, it's, it's a claim. You're mine. Israel is what? Israel, Old Testament son, children. These are my kids. These are mine. Right? These kinds of words. And when he says that, it means something. Why? It's, uh, I'm putting something on you. You're mine now. We're connected. Uh, Canaanites don't have that. All right? and, and Pharaoh, obviously, the, the Egyptians don't have that. that. That's not the way that they would uh, connect this. In fact, that's what it was. Um, especially God saying this, you are my son, literally not being your son. It, it would be a, a royal covenant. That's what it is. It's like a royal covenant. And if you see him say it again down the line, it's like a renewing. He's renewing it. Maybe, maybe it's a new king or talking to Israel. He's renewing it. He's renewing what he, what he already had. And you'll, all, you'll always notice it being the, the line of Judah, right? The, line, the lineage of kings. And then check this out. You go to, or let's go to Matthew. Matthew 3, verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need uh, to be baptized by you. Verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be uh, so now for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. All right, there's, there's a reason why he's doing this. Verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, so first he's baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God. And let me pause there. When the Spirit of God shows up, what does that mean? When the divine shows up, what does that mean? It's already the idea of, okay, I'm, I'm approving this. Already, his, his presence already, okay, I'm, I'm here for a reason. Okay, so the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So imagine these people are seeing this. There's already, let me put it this way. Not that I approve this. In, in the case of Jesus, it's a stamp of approval. It's like saying, yeah, he's worthy. 
Otherwise, I wouldn't show up. Does that make sense? So, here is the Jesus, he's worthy, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, what? This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Very similar wording as what we just saw in the Old Testament. That is a renewal of, a, of well, if you want to call it a covenant, but it, 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 there is a covenant, there's a Davidic covenant, but it's our royalty. So, it's, it ends here with Jesus. He is the ultimate king, he is the ultimate priest, he's all of it. But there's your stamp of approval right there. All that, well, let's go back to Psalm. Let's go back there. But anyway, I want you guys to see it. So there's a renewal sometimes, and there's there's your final renewal, the greatest renewal through Jesus. Back to Psalm 2. So yeah, if you if you do see that you are my son kind of wording in the Old Testament, it's, it's just an, uh, either it's the starting or it's it's a renewal of, of God's, uh, the royal covenant that he has there. So the Lord said to me, you are my son today, I have begotten you. You just have a kid today? No, no, it's, it's, it's like metaphorical language, right? But you're mine now. It's, it's like family language. That's a big deal. All right, but, but to, think about it. Even, even in like royal, like, um, even in like TV shows, this is cheesy, but it, it'll make sense. You always see, oh, today we claim, whatever, right? That's it's the same idea. It's, notice how we started. Today, right? Well, yesterday? No, today I have begotten you. It's, it's um, like coronation, right? Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. On and on he goes. And what, what he's going to do, right? Oh, I'll keep reading it. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. So what's he saying? My son has the blessing. All right? My, he's mine. Don't you dare try to mess with him. Because how did it start off? Remember in verse 1, how did it start off? Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. So it starts off, oh, you guys have this going against me. And then what does he do next? He's mocking. He's laughing, right? God's laughing. And then here's his decree. You're my son. It's a claim. You don't mess with my kids. And if you try, just try and watch what I'll do. Okay, so now let's go back to Acts. With all that said, Acts chapter 4 so verse 25, Acts 4.25, whom through the mouth of our father David, and who's he talking to? Basically the Sanhedrin, right? All the, all the heads, right? You, mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. Why would he quote that now? Kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together, and against the Lord, and against his anointed. He's quoting that for a reason. Verse 27, for truly, in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. What did he just do? You guys see the correlation there? Beloved son, beloved son, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles. How did it start off? Why did the Gentiles rage? Notice what he just did. He just made a little connection there. Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles. They're all outsiders, right? They're all Gentiles. Talking to you guys. See what he just did? What he just did there? And, let's not forget the end, the people of Israel. The Gentiles rage. And the people plot in vain. What are they doing? They're, they're basically plotting against Peter, if you will, right? And they're, they're trying to take him down. Because why? Remember the question? Whose name do you come in, right? Whose name are you using? And he quotes Psalm 2. Remember, it's, it's, it's no different if, if I was to say to you, um, for God so loved, and all of you go, the world, da, 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 right? You're already in your brain, you went to where? John 3.16, naturally. And you're already thinking, okay, you're going to probably talk about Jesus or God's love or something like that, probably, right? Your brain already went there. That's what he did right there with Psalm 2. 
he brings it up to say, just like they did this to the anointed, the, the Messiah of the Old Testament, they hated him. And God said, what? No, that's my son. It's the exact same thing. You're listening to this. So well, let me just spell it out very, very plainly. The idea is, if you're against David, you're against God. Right? Old Testament. He's saying the same thing, except it's not David now. If you're against Jesus, you're against that same guy, the one you try to claim on me, God. Do you see why he quotes Psalm 2? It's not just random. It doesn't, because to me, it's like, what does that even mean? Why would you quote like a random couple of verses? That doesn't even make any sense. Okay, the Gentiles, I can see the people connection there. But if that's, if that's what he's saying, oh my gosh, that, that got pretty deep there real quick. Now, let's also talk about this for a sec. Is Peter a genius? No, we just got done hearing the Holy Spirit gave him these words. And then he says, it's the Holy Spirit that gave David those words. No, ain't no geniuses here. It's just the Holy Spirit moving. So the whole point is what? Just like in that chapter, you're against David, you're against God. Same thing today, except Jesus is the king. If you're against Jesus, you're against God. Ooh, man, that's, that's harsh words, man. That's some harsh words. Verse 28, the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had, to, had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If you don't remember that name yet, you know, I'll just say it one more time. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So it's kind of cool. It's, it's again, signs and wonders, right? There's a shaking, right? God's presence is there. It's maybe an approval, if you want to call it that. And then what happens? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That Spirit is moving, man. It's going crazy right now. Remember we talked about uh, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago about everything right now is going to be like hyper. Like everything's going to be like extreme right now. It's just that Spirit is just going all over the place right now. Things are at that level, right? Very, very hyper because it's brand new. It's, it's like a fire spreading right now. It's hard for us to, to fathom it because, again, we live in America and, and it's, already, it's already been preached. Most people know Jesus. I mean, I, I've had difficulty talking to anybody who doesn't know that name or hasn't heard about something, positive or negative, right? So it's very difficult to see something like that. I'm not saying God can't do it, but uh, there, there's a difficulty from, again, my perspective, because most people know about him. But other countries, that's why you see those little fires like, whoa, what the heck? People's like lame, like hands are like appearing and stuff. It's like, what? Yeah, signs and wonders are going to happen there because the, the spirit is, is going to move and, and there, there's people who don't know about Jesus. Yeah, there's going to be a wildfire out there. Oh, man. So if they start, they start talking about fires out here, oh, man. Careful with that, man. Oh, the fire. The, what, what are you even talking about? You're getting weird on me. Impartations. Those are like key words, like in my brain, when some, people start saying, I'm going to uh, download impartations, uh, holy fire. It's like, oh, man. Like, I'm already like tapped out, man. I'm, I'm good. Have a good day, man. I, I'm, I, I've grown to have like this distaste, I don't know, like literally physically, I get sick a little bit here uh, when I hear stuff like that, because it's not even God. That's the, I, I read these things, I'm like, okay, there's got to be something here. I get nothing, I get nothing, because it's the holy fire, and then, then this, and then the impartations. Like, what can you impart that isn't in the Word? What can you do? What do you, you don't have anything new. You don't have a new revelation. It's already been revealed. It's there. It's Jesus. What are you going to give me? What, the gift of prophecy. It's already there. You can't give it to me. It's already there. In fact, it's not yours to give. Ugh. Ugh. I get so mad. All right. Finish this off. Just a couple of verses here. We, we've kind of already discussed this idea here. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph also called the apostle, apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. So uh, we already talked about this. I'm not going to take too much time on this, but if you're going to claim socialism on this, that, that's just silly. They didn't have socialism back then. You're, 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 again, you're adding ideas of today back into the Bible. Don't do that to yourself. You're going to drive yourself crazy. All right. This is my thought. I can't say this is it for sure. But again, since everything's like a wildfire back then, I think it was just necessary for the moment, for that time to do it, to do this. But it's not, it's not something to do right now. If God says it, that's a whole different thing. But it's probably not going to be a forever thing, clearly. And it was never, it was never forever thing. Right? You don't see Paul you know, going along and saying, okay, everybody, now sell all your stuff. You never see that. Okay, I think it was for the moment. I think that was what, what was necessary. I don't know. Maybe that's what they had to do. Sell everything so they can get everything they can to learn, to teach, whatever, to, to free them of, of, of life's burdens to go and do this job. That's my take. I, I can't prove it, but otherwise it doesn't make any sense. What do you need all that? Why, why would you sell all your stuff? You know, so I'm, I'm trying to find some logic in that. I think it was just it was just the spirit moving. That's what was necessary for the moment. You don't need to do that unless the spirit of God tells you. Outside of that, you leave it alone. It's not socialism, and don't don't take today's ideas and throw it into the Old Testament or the or into the Bible. Period. So, anyway, all right. So that's wow, mouthful. Chapter four, but uh, we will go into chapter five next time. Thank you for listening to today's message. 2 Corinthians 9-7 tells us that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If this message has been a blessing to you, we ask that you be a cheerful giver to this ministry by going to finallyalive.com forward slash give. We'll meet you again next time as we grow together and learn to be finally alive in Christ.